Welcome to episode 228 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we review the Easter round in the NRL. We discuss the American dream and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 228 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, the Easter round. Happy Easter, by the way. Hope you had a great Easter with your family and, and loved ones. And, and, and boy, did it end on a high for you. Uh, the resurrection of yes. the great... The one and only, the big J, Jackson. <laughs> I'm talking about Jackson AC. Anyway, yeah. uh, look, uh, wow. wow. Wow, what an end to an, a really epic round of rugby league. Tish, you must be on a high as Absol- a Tigers fan. Absolutely, yes. So, um, Resurrection Monday, right? Instead of uh, <laughs> Resurrection Sunday. But look, yeah, it was uh, an absolutely phenomenal game. And I, I think it kept out, uh, copped off a... Uh, a good round of the NRL Rugby League. Now, so finally, the West Tigers got a victory. And finally, um, all teams have at least won one game. So that's that's good. And uh, yeah, but it was great. It was great as a Tigers supporter, a long-suffering Tigers supporter this season. The first five rounds, it was long. It was hard up. You know, lost interest there for a little bit. But um, yeah, but it was it, it was kind of amazing. So so definitely, um, you know, definitely a, a great a great one there. So yeah, that, that was uh, absolutely thrilling. And yeah, I loved every moment of that and uh yeah i think we'll be probably talking more about the tigers later on um because you know towels and tiger town every week there is a different thing about the tigers but i think this week it's finally going to be positive you know oh absolutely uh yeah and look unfortunately they spoiled the eels 75th birthday mm. party yeah uh with with some greats great the eels greats in the crowd you know, Ray, Ray Price and others, uh, what would they be thinking right now with uh, with that performance? Because I don't think, look, to be fair, the Tigers, congratulations for the win, but I think the Eels would feel like some of their players uh, were, yeah, I don't know if they performed to their potential. Um, and, you know, if you're just looking at the fact that we just got beaten by the last place team who hadn't won a single game this year, you'd be entitled to think, you know, that the Eels uh, players probably could have put in a bit more effort or probably could have been more focused or whatever. But look, the reality is uh, we will dive into this uh, yeah. a little bit more because the Tigers really put it to them. And, and I think... I think we literally have seen a resurrection of a different Tigers team, one that we have not seen thus far this year. And I think, uh, yeah, look, there's plenty to talk about, many reasons why, and uh, we'll dive into it very, very shortly. In fact, let's dive into it now. Let's dive into our uh, tackle, our first tackle, which is our Easter round review, round six in the NRL. Here we go. (laughs) 
right. So as I said, an epic uh, round of rugby league. And uh, here are the scores. So the Cowboys, 18 over the Raiders, 12. Uh, South Sydney smashing the Bulldogs, 36 to 16. The Broncos equally smashing the, uh, sorry, the Penrith, sorry, Penrith equally smashing the Broncos, 40 points to 12 after the, the Broncos sort of put up a good fight early on. Uh, Manly in a close one, 26 to 18 over the Gold Coast Titans. The Storm, 34 to 18 or over the Cronulla Sharks. Uh, you know, it was a, little, a lot closer than that, I think, for the most part, but the Storm at the end ran away with it. Uh, the Roosters, 22 to 14 in a controversial one over the Warriors. Um, and the Dragons in, uh, you know, a, a, almost a last-minute <laughs> victory, 21 mm. to 16 over the Knights. They were already up 17, 16, and they uh, a, a try with a minute or so to go to seal the deal. But look, in in an epic, an already epic uh, Easter round of rugby league, the final game Easter Monday. We're coming to you. We're recording soon after the the game finished. Uh, West Tigers 21 over the Parramatta Eels 20. Uh, and it was, look, I think I'm going to dive right into it. It was probably, for me, the game of the year, mm. not necessarily quality-wise, but it was just so exciting and it was just full of drama, full of back and forth. There's there's a, a few a few kind of highlights in it. Obviously, the, yep. the main highlight we're going to talk about later is, uh, or of the entire round, I think, is the, is the role that Jackson Hastings had. Mm. In, in this one, it was basically a last-second field goal from around 40 metres out. I think I think at the time I was watching it, they counted it as a two-point field goal, although I don't know if officially it's, it's a one-point field goal. He may have been just uh, inside the 40. I'm not exactly sure. But regardless, everyone thought it was going to golden point. Um, it mm. was... It was a seesawing kind of match, but uh, the Tigers definitely put in it to the Eels. Well-deserved victors in my mind, even though I'm, I'm a, you know, one blue eye and one gold eye. Um, and but there you go, the Tigers uh, off the mat, off the off the bottom of the of the ladder, and, and in an epic way against one of the Premiership contenders, Parramatta Eels. Who, as I said, uh, their 75th birthday spoiled a little bit today with mm. uh, with their performance. But you can't take anything away from the Tigers. I think they they played what was in front of them and they did what they had to do. And they were a different kind of Tigers team. So look for mine. The it, that was one of the highlights was that field goal. Tish, take us through your thoughts when when you saw Jackson Hastings take the ball with about three seconds to go. Well, when he okay, so. Um, if we set it up, uh, that that like that final uh, sort of rush, um, they had a they had two other opportunities to go for a field goal. In both cases, they kicked the ball dead, uh, going for a grubber. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and he did talk about it after the game, where um, you know they had practiced for we, him and Luke Brooks had practiced, you know, field goals and how they'd set them up, and you know, but the problem was Luke Brooks was playing dummy half because they lost a dummy half. So, um, you know, I think in the first instance, um, you know, the defense, um, Mitch Rain, he actually called it out. Mitch Rain, actually, um, you know, I was trying to get Mitch Rain to go for me, but he went for the other guy instead, which was our plan. So, you know, Parramatta knew, like, diffuse the plan in the first one. And then he goes, and then the other one, we just 
forgot where each other were supposed to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> so after all that, um, the last one, it, it didn't look likely. Like just the way that, you know, they were, were way out, and you know, normally you ha- you know you normally you sort of pass the ball really far back and have all these people in front of you. Um, the only people in front of him were Parramatta players, and then so he just got the ball out in time, and um, maybe without thinking about it, he yeah he was able to kick it. So absolutely phenomenal. And um, you know, the other reminder that I have is that he did actually kick a goal from the sideline. Um, I think Luke Brooks was the kicker for the other, and he was at around 50%. Um, but Jackson Hastings decided to take the most difficult kick that the Tigers had, and he got that one too. So um, he's definitely got this thing in him where he likes to um, have the ball or be the player to sort of, you know, the game winner, right? He's got that sort of in him to be that person player. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Um, so I know we're going to talk more about the Tigers, and so so I want to save a bit of that for, for the end. But look, as far as the other games, you know, the traditional um, South Sydney's Bulldogs game, I think it was a great game for probably the first 40, but I think South Sydney ran away with it. Um, I actually thought the Penrith-Brisbane um, game, 40 points to 12. I know that scoreline looks a bit of a blowout, but I remember watching the game thinking that this game was actually a lot closer than that. It's just that the, um, you know, the Broncos couldn't ex- execute uh, – their chances, whereas Penrith could. And I think that's what you'll actually see. And that's probably why, you know, as much as, you know, if you just look at the scores sometimes in NRL, you you, you see a massive difference. But actually, it, it's really not that different. It's just more of a case where one team uh, are better at, you know, sort of uh, taking their chances while the other team is, you know, lacks that bit of execution. So, and then, and then probably the other, uh, and that's probably the same in both attack and defense. So that was it. And obviously, you know, the, the storm um, sharks game was a pretty good game. Um, but the storm did run away at the end, but yeah, definitely Parramatta versus West Tigers. I think Easter Monday, uh, this is the clash now, isn't it? Like there is, they've been doing this for, I want, I want to say they've been doing this for probably about 10 years now. Right. And um, oh, I think it's a, it's about eight years. I think 2014, I heard them say, that they started it, so yeah, yeah. But I think it's a tradition now. I think it's got to be that game, and um, you know, they had a really big crowd and it was really good atmosphere. And it's, you know, it's a big match game. You know, it's kind of I know ne- next week we're going to have the Anzac round, um, and you're going to have the Anzac Day clash between the Roosters and the Dragons. I kind of feel for Easter Monday. This is the game now that um, you know, it's kind of a highlight, and um, hopefully it could be something that maybe. Um, you know, in in the right stools, the NRL want to include as a as a, you know, a, along with Magic Round, along with uh, Anzac Round, along with State of Origin, they want to include that as this this is a, a free to wear game that everybody needs to see because um, both these teams want to play each other. Um, it's usually look, it's not always close, but it's usually very entertaining. That's that's. Oh, I have I to, say. yeah, I agree with that. I absolutely, it's. Uh, I kind of knew, you know, you kind of just know that it's going to be an entertaining game regardless of, you know, regardless of where the teams are on, on the ladder. Um, you just know that it's going to be an entertaining game. And I did sort of say last week when we were talking about our tips that, uh, you know, the the Tigers have a habit of doing this to the Eels. <laughs> just when you think that the Eels are riding high, the Easter Monday clash comes along and reminds the Eels to not take them for granted. And I think... I think the thing is that, yeah, and we'll dive into it later, but, it, well, we're not really going to talk about the Tigers per se, but more the the factors behind the win. But, you know, the Tigers play this style of game naturally that is kind of an open, 
kind of loose loose game, a lot of razzle dazzle, and that's where they. I, I certainly think that's where they play their best. But I think I think the Eels have a habit of forgetting their game plan and trying to do yeah. the same thing or just relaxing into the game. And I think that leads to uh, some, uh, shall we say, defensive lapses. But before yeah. we go, before we finish up the wrap-up of the round, there was one other highlight from this game that I thought was, uh, you know, it, it, it was more it of a sportsmanship, oh, okay. uh, gamesmanship kind of. Well, I mean, uh, it wasn't so much the the field goal, which was obvious uh, I think as as the the highlight of the round, but to me, what was very interesting was there was a, an altercation or a series of altercations between Dane Laurie and uh, Clint Gutherson. Mm. I don't know if people caught that, but there was a there was one incident where Dane Laurie chased after a ball. Clint Gutherson caught it on a full. Uh, he landed almost as soon as he landed. Uh, Dane Laurie tackled him from about you know, five, six metres inside or outside his uh, try line and basically pu- pushed him back and uh, and secured the uh, goal line dropout for the Tigers. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, back slapping and good on your Dane Laurie kind of thing. But there was a bit of, bit of aggro from the Eels because I think a lot of people thought that Clint Gutherson hadn't actually planted both of his feet. And so technically they thought, you know, maybe he got tackled midair, which would have been a penalty. Anyway, so obviously he took a bit of umbrage to that. And in particular, he took umbrage to the fact that that they the Tigers celebrated Dane Laurie's tackle quite a bit too much. In fact, there was a lot of boasting uh, of players that like, like Gutherson and others that were on the ground. And I think the Eels didn't take that too kindly to that. And uh, a few minutes later... There was another situation where I think Dane Laurie got bundled out or he got tackled pretty hard by Gutherson and it led to the, uh, you know, a, a breakdown in a backline movement for the Tigers. And <laughs> Gutherson uh, basically like shot thing, back, right? yeah. shot back mocking, mocking Dane Laurie, uh, you know, as if to say, you know, be careful, mate, <laughs> who you mock. You know, I'm, you know, the young man, don't mock me kind of thing. Like he kind of mocked him in return. And I thought that was, look, the commentators are where I was watching that was, were, were very much aware of that. And I thought that was a pretty funny, uh, funny situation. It was a bit of a funny kind of mm. uh, altercation, not so much, but look, it wasn't done with malice. And I think that's yep. the main thing. It was done with kind of a bit of, Oh, uh, you're mocking around, boy. You're in your face, kind of thing. It was a bit like that. It was a bit jovial. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, it ended up <laughs> backfiring on the Eels anyway. But they lost the game. But, but the point is that it was Clint Gutherson kind of saying to Dane Laurie, you know, don't go, don't go boasting too much. Uh, you're going to get your come up. And this is exactly what happens in rugby league, right? If there's too much showmanship. You can bet your bottom dollar that they, that that player will be shown up by the other team. There's nothing that a rugby league player hates more than an opposition player showboating uh, and and openly mocking your team. That is a surefire way to get absolutely smashed in return. And I think that's what happened, uh, but with a little bit of a jovial kind of uh, counter mocking. So I thought that was pretty funny, you know, it, despite the fact there was a very tense kind of exciting game, that there was a bit of humour and there was a bit of kind of argy-bargy there between the players. So I, I really appreciated that. It was a good kind of way to uh, – it, it was very entertaining, put it that way. 
Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to find my Instagram feed because um, Clint Gutherson has been uh, showing up my Instagram feed. Um, I think he's selling some sort of fitness app or <laughs> something like this. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a, I, was just, I was just found out. I was thinking maybe Dane Laurie is a unhappy customer of Clint Gutherson Fitness or whatever it is. I'm just trying to find what, what it is. It's kind of – I think he just randomly comes in and out. But – but yeah, look, I, I I enjoyed it because, as you said, it was it wasn't um, it was competitive. It was, I suppose, it was two players in the heat of the moment having a bit of fun a little bit, uh, rather than sort of, you know, you, I, I think there was a similar incident with Manly, uh, sorry, with Melbourne and Cronulla, and um, I think um, I think that they almost got into a fight, right? So, um, okay, <laughs> yeah, so, so so and you see that a lot. Like there are like times where. You know, you're watching the game, and you know that you know the emotions sort of boil over, type thing. Um, but but yeah, but this seemed to be a lot more friendly, um, and which was which was good, right? Because it's the competitiveness, and it is. You know, Dan Laurie is kind of a, you know, it's his second year in the top grade versus Clint Cutherson, who's kind of like, um, you know, the uh, you know the 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 guy that's. I don't want to use the word veteran because he is. I mean, he has played a lot of seasons, but I don't, I don't think he's quite there yet. But he's definitely sort of the more experienced player, right? The um, and yeah. um, yeah, and you know, and he's like he's, the older brother, right? Yeah, he's like the older brother, and he's he's a great um, I think I think he he's like a a, a really good cheerleader for his squad type, type thing as well. So I think that's kind of um. Um, and he's very animated too. That's the other thing about Quick Jefferson that I like. It exactly. Is, yeah, that's what made it funny. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But but the thing is, like you know, they see it on the big screen. The fans get around him. Then on top of that, some of the other players say that too. Oh look, Gutho's fighting back. We need to fight back. So yeah, look. As much as we want to go on the Tigers, I, I do want to bring up that with um, Parramatta that this is the this was this game had their lowest completion of the year. It's usually above eighty percent, right? Um, there were so many unforced errors uh, with Parramatta. Um, and, yeah, you're right, Dr. T. It could be the victim of trying to play the Tigers game a little bit. Um, I think one of the commentators, and I think it was Michael Innes, who was a former Bulldogs player and, you know, had a – had a, but, but, but I think he said something like, well, you know, sometimes when these, you know, these top teams play these other teams, they see so many opportunities um, <laughs> that they get, like, overexcited, right? Um, and and, the, and then they end up sort of overrunning and underrunning. Um, so yeah, there was there was a little uncanniness from Parramatta. They weren't as sharp as what they were. They missed a lot of opportunities that way. Um, it could be down to some reshuffles and injuries. I know that they're sort of struggling for outside backs and things like that. So um, a, a, as much as we want to talk about how great the Tigers played, and they did play great. Um, I think this game is a com- the result of this game is a combination of. Parramatta not playing to their best and the Tigers uh, playing close to their best. Um, I think that's probably where these, you know, and and then you have a result where the Tigers win by one point. There you go. And that's a good segue into our second tackle where we're going to deep dive into the game a little bit more. The Tigers' first victory. So here we go with tackle number two, the Tigers' first victory and the return of Jackson Hastings. Here we go. Continuing on with this conversation about the Tigers and the Eels, we thought we'd take a little bit of a deeper dive into the Tigers and and their victory. Obviously, as you just said, Tish, we've seen the Eels uh, having not as good a completion rate 
in this game as you would normally expect. And as I said, I think part of that is the they they got drawn into playing the Tigers' natural game, which is a bit loose and and a little bit kind of. Uh, you know, um, not not so much defence oriented, shall we say? Um, but look, having said all that, I think I think really I think I foreshadowed last week in the tipping that even though I was tipping the Eels, I had a feeling that that what that Madge with backs his back against the wall um, had to do something drastic at the Tigers to. To ensure that they would, uh, you know, get get the victory and and against a, a very kind of well fancied eel side, and the big talk was uh, that Luke Brooks was moving away from halfback into the five eighth role, and Jackson Hastings was returning in the halfback role, and uh, and and basically what 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 would that do to the to the Tigers? And I think we talked about the fact that you know maybe we. Someone like Luke Brooks has been under tremendous pressure for so many years, and it's never been it's it's unrelenting. Um, you know, since the time when it was it was Brooks and Mitchell Moses in the halves, which was many many years ago already. Um, you know, Luke Brooks hasn't really kicked on, whereas Mitchell Moses kind of has at the Eels, and so. I think the time had to come for some sort of a change, and I think Michael Maguire decided, you know, let's let's put uh, Brooks in the five-eighth role, which is not really his natural role. But I think we were sort of saying last week that it would lead to a bit of a, you know, less pressure on Brooks to to do everything and to control the team, and 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 I'm not really sure whether that's his thing anyway. And look, look what happened. <laughs> um, it's exactly what panned out. The Jackson Hastings coming in. Allowing Luke Brooks to do his thing, he had two try assists, um, and he hasn't had two try assists for, you know, for the last how many games? Uh, and he had two within twenty minutes today, and so you know, just unbelievable that uh, the the amount of of impact one player can have when you play them in a different position, you allow them to sort of run a bit of a more free game. And and you control you you know you have Jackson Hastings there controlling the back line and um, you know had some really everyone's still going to talk about the the uh, the field goal but he had a, a pinpoint uh, uh, would you call it a, a small like chip kick kind of thing mm. small kick pinpoint kick to is it David Nofaluma yeah. Um, for his second try, I believe, which was unbelievable pinpoint accuracy. And, you know, don't forget that Jackson Hastings had a, a bit of a stint at the Roosters and and had to kind of, uh, you know, get away from the NRL for a bit to get to get control of his own life. And, and for him to do what he did today, uh, to control the Tigers, to make them play a free-flowing game. And at the very end, with literally a second to spare, to score the match-winning field goal in the most dramatic of circumstances. I mean, look, and you should have seen the Tigers jumping on him. He ran away. You knew he had scored the point. Uh, you had won the game. And the amount of emotion that's come out of uh, the Tigers with that victory, I mean, a lot of people will say, well, they, they're acting like they won a grand final. Well, 
it I guess sometimes it is it would feel that way if you've been down in the doldrums for so long it would be such an emotional release to get that kind of a victory against that kind of an opponent on this occasion a lot of things happening all together and look well done to the Tigers but I think uh, yeah a lot of it has to do with Michael Maguire's shifting tactics uh, and you know I don't think it was a a gamble. I think it was kind of a, a calculated uh, decision to do what he did to the back line there, and it, it paid dividends. But that's my view. Tish, what's what's your view about the role of Jackson Hastings, and uh, are we going to see a turned around Tigers lineup? Yeah, well, I think specifically, um, and I did hear some of Cooper Cronk's comments post-game, uh, sort of at halftime and, and perhaps as well. And obviously, Cooper Crank was uh, you know, a great Melbourne Storm and Roosters halfback, you know, multiple premiership winning. And he talked about how, like, um, you know, having Hastings as the first receiver um, and sort of calling the shot of where everybody was running and stuff like that, um, you know, he was, you know, he was actively trying to compress the defence. Um, and then so when the ball actually got out to Luke Brooks, he was sort of the next pass away. Now, Brooks has got more time uh, to make decisions sort of off the cuff. And, you know, I think even Luke Brooks also did say that, um, you know, after the game, he did sort of mention that, like, um, you know, with Jackson sort of more sort of organising the players and the team and everything like that, um, I just get to play my own sort of natural game. And I think that's probably where the difference um, is. So that's and, – and traditionally, you know, I think the number seven role has become more of that, you know – and look, it probably changes over the different periods of history, and it depends on who's in your team and what type of player there are. But I think in general, the the number seven is is one of the most talkative players on the field. Um, they're usually, uh, you know, annoying the referee <laughs> as as possible too, because they're always asking for different things. Um, they're usually quite hated too. Like if you remember um, Alan Langer and um, Ricky Stewart, right? I think, you know, New South Wales people loved Ricky Stewart, but hated Alan Langer and, and vice versa, right? Um, because, and both of them are known for sort of, you know, barking out instructions to their team, telling players to be there and not be there and, you know, and then all that type of stuff and and just really, uh, you know, really quite passionate. And I think, I think Jackson's got that, ability to do that and you could see you just saw him like he was even you know there's one time he was even um he was actually uh pointing to different plays in Parramatta telling them where to go <laughs> right which is yeah. kind, kind of an interesting tactic right so um so I think I think he's suited to being that first play off the ruck so if that's got a seven on your back or a six off your back I don't think it really matters but I think that role of being the person that sort of handling your attack I think makes sense they're a lot more smoother with him around and uh, you know and yeah whereas I think with Luke Brooks I think he struggles to sort of be that organising player for the whole 80 minutes I think he's got the ability to do it in, in periods and patches but I don't think he is the type of guy to, to sort of keep barking out instructions uh, here or there I think the other thing about Luke Brooks is that he's definitely more of a confidence player. And um, I think this is something that Mitchell Moses was as well, but you could see Moses has been a bit more um, better at it. I think when things go Luke Brooks's way, then he's, he's really quite a great player, but I think um, he's not the type of guy to, to uh, if things go, don't go well for him at the start, then 
the whole game, he sort of loses his confidence, right? Whereas if you think about players like uh, James Maloney or if you think about even um, Cody Walker, right? You know, they, they make mistakes, they throw intercept passes, but they still uh, are not afraid to try those players out. Um, whereas I think Luke Brooks is kind of one of those players that sort of, uh, you know, if he has a thing that goes bad here or there, he finds it very hard to recover from those things. Um, and yeah, and I was going to say, because Moses had a similar sort of thing, but his was more like he gets, uh, you know, more frustrated, uh, takes it out on other players when he, when, when things don't go well for Mitchell Moses. But I think Mitchell Moses, you could see there's been a maturity in him right now where you don't really see him getting all that frustrated this year, at least, at least not as bad as other years. Right. So, mm. you know, it's interesting, the development of these players. And, um, you know, the other interesting thing is that Mitchell Moses kind of started his career, I think after both these players, but out of, out of all the, out of all the sort of backs, he was kind of the, the main player, right. Out of all the, all the, uh, halving combinations. Yeah. But look, Jackson, mm. J- Jackson Hastings has got an amazing story, right. You know, he, um, he's the son of a rugby league player. He didn't meet, he, he never, uh, his dad lived in America until he was 18. So um, he never had a real father figure around and he's very close to his mom. And, you know, he had so many problems. Uh, uh, apparently him and Trent Barrett didn't get along at Manly, which forced him to go to England. And, you know, he became, I think for multiple years running, he was the best player in Super League um, and, you know, uh, winning some accolades there. I think even winning a premiership and so forth. So he's come back now. You know, it, it is it is a resurrection story. And I think, I think, that's part of also, you know, why he wants the ball with a minute left to try and kick a field goal, right? Um, he wants the ball, um, you know, to kick the the two point goal to to level up the scores or something like that. So um, I think he said something in his interview where, you know, I just wanted to kick the field goal. If I missed it, I missed it. If I got it, I got it. I I was already content with whatever the result was, but I just wanted to be the person that tried to kick it. But I wanted the responsibility to be on me, whether we won or lost, which I thought was like just an amazing yeah. statement, right? He's like a, he's like a Tony Robbins out there, you know, with his uh, bombshells. <laughs> <laughs> he's just going out there. He's like a Gary V. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely like a Gary V. He's like the modern day Gary V. So yeah. Um, oh, by the way, did uh, there was also a scrum that went against the feed. Um, I don't know. <laughs> in this game too, right? <laughs> so it was an unreal game. Like there was, there was so much in here that is like uncanny, really. Like so, uh, yeah. So, so yeah. But anyway, any any other thoughts there on the Tigers and their and their and victory number one? <laughs> yeah. Look, will they win I, another? I Not sure. I, we don't know. <laughs> well, I think you know it's so funny you should say that because uh, journalists. Paul Kent on uh, was it three hundred and sixty or whatever they call it on on Fox um, asked Jackson. Oh no, sorry, I think he asked Luke Brooks. Um, you know, you already you basically they, they just won, and he he asked them. You know, expectations would be there that you 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 know you do it again, but he's already saying when are you going to win your next one? And and look, I I think. Um, I think that there's there's a lot more. Look, there's evidence now that if they play a certain style, that it gets them results. Um, that's not to say that if you play that against a more clinical team, that they'll they'll know how to exploit your your weaknesses and etc. But I think I think they've shown that they can win, and they can win a tight one against a well fancied team. So, you know, 
look, if you putting aside the emotion and the, you know, the the all that sort of stuff, and and getting your first first win on the board, um, I think they would be entitled to feel like they can do it again. Um, but not all games will be like that. There will be games that are a bit more bogged down with different weather conditions and and that kind of thing. It was. In saying that, I think some of the eels look like they slipped around quite a lot. I think that yeah. there's a lot of slipping and and maybe that's what led to some unforced errors, I think. But I think at the end of the day, it's it's a mental thing. And I think in my mind, uh, you know, the I probably didn't mention this earlier, but I think I'm a bit little bit worried about the fact that with all the build-up of the 75th birthday of the eels and the the former greats being there to help support them on the day perfect weather conditions uh you know sunny sydney kind of thing um the eels turned on a performance that some would be very disappointed in and i think maybe that sort of is a bit of a a sign you know we've seen this as an eels fan before the eels fans will know what i'm talking about that when we get to like a grand final or a semi-final situation the the pressure gets to the team and they just don't know how to handle it. So it's a mental resilience kind of issue, which is kind of interesting that, um, you know, that on the other side, you've got with the Tigers today, you've got a couple of players who are the centrepiece for the Tigers who themselves have been, I guess you could say, going through some mental kind of challenges in terms of uh, the pressure of, of uh, being sort of who they are. And and being at the top in uh, in rugby league and 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 the pressure to perform and that kind of thing, so it's kind of interesting that from Anil's perspective, they didn't show the resilience that you would have thought. Um, they didn't, you know, usually with the support of your your home team and your former greats and the fact that it's a big occasion, you would think that they would have responded a, a, with a little bit more passion and 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 fight in a way. Um, and and I think. Um, that sort of worries me a little bit. But having said that, the flip side is that the Tigers showed that they can do it and that when when the pressure is on in a different way, meaning, you know, another loss going to 0-6 would be mean almost certain, um, you know, you know, lots of scrutiny for Michael Maguire, probably even the board will uh, confirm its support for him <laughs> in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. When they come um, back from holidays. When they come back from holidays, that's it. Um, but yeah, and and I think Maguire with this one victory showed that what's the potential there. So I don't think yeah. they're going to make a, a, a rash decision there. Unfortunately, uh, or fortunately for him, I think. Yeah. And so yeah, I think onward and upward for the Tigers. I think they they show uh, they can get better from here. And I think there's a new. I, I think we literally have seen a new Tigers reborn this week this weekend today mm. and uh, i look forward to seeing what they can do because i think they've look they've got lots of firepower there they just need to know how to use it and uh i think jackson hastings is the key that's going to unlock all that you know let's not forget we've got nofaluma is on fire and has been for so long i think he's one of the greatest try scorers in tiger's history so you know you've got lots of things happening there with him you've also got um uh james roberts there who's a bit untapped in terms of his mm. speed um <clears throat> and his skills and and obviously you've got lots of other players that are, are going great and, and uh, adam dewey coming back uh, so that's right so there's yeah. a lot to look forward to and so yeah i think uh 
it's going to be the first of many victories this year, but I think uh, it's good to get that one in such on such an occasion uh, to get off the mat and and get back into the fight. And I think that's what they they need. Uh, and if they need Sylvester Stallone's inspiration, Eye of the Tiger, you know, Rocky Balboa mm. to kind of remind them of uh, get up off the ground and fight, you know, that kind of thing. Let's. Yep. Uh, this is this is the day they have to look back on, and and they should inspire. Should inspire more victories, I say. Yeah, well, what I do say is that, um, you know, on the back of, uh, you know, documentaries, um, you know, maybe Jackson should now become Jackson Exotic, the Tiger King. Well, that's a bit much. Um, okay, all right, all right okay. <laughs> no, but... Isn't he in jail? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is, he is. But he needs please, resurrection let's... too, so yeah. I we yeah, that's, uh, probably, let's find other role models for him, please. Okay, all right, <laughs> anyway. too easy. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to tackle number three. Here we go. Tackle number three uh, is about Samoa. Mm. So now there's been, uh, you know, we talked about Michael Maguire, the coaching, like coaches are very important, but what is, is the deal with um, the Johns brothers? Have uh, something going on with the Johns brothers? What's happening? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And yeah, sorry, my notes are a little all over the place. But yeah, look, um, yeah, there's been reports out here that, uh, okay, so where is this? Yeah, so brothers... Matthew and Andrew Johns are reportedly set to take over the Samoa national side in this year's mid-season test match uh, in in a major international sca- uh, shake-up. While the pairing originally bid for the Samoan top job was initially rejected last year in May, um, you know there's been reports that Matthew Parrish, the current coach, is uh, prepared to step down. Uh, the Johns brothers will, uh, you know, they'll be aiming to emulate the success that to- the Tonga national side has had over the last few years in the, um, you know, well, at least in the last World Cup in 2017, plus how they beat the Kangaroos in 2019. Um, so the uh, initial idea was to also include Sonny Bill Williams um, into the coaching mix as well. Uh, and there are also suggestions that even uh, John Morris, um, you know, the former Cronulla coach may also be a part of this quartet to help the Samoans, um, you know, uh, increase their sort of uh, potential, uh, you know, in the, in this year's World Cup. So, yes, the Samoa getting some really, you know, if this all goes through, they're, they're going to get a really big boost when it comes to the World Cup. During the Panthers-Broncos game, I was actually thinking about this um, because I was just thinking about how good Jerome Luai was playing and how good Stephen Crichton is as a fullback. Then I was thinking about how Dylan Brown would be the perfect 5'8", and he is also of Samoan descent. So then that just leaves a a dummy half, which I'm not 100% sure who could be in that role. But if that's their spine, that is a a top, that is an NRL premiership winning spine. That the, that the Samoans will have, right? Um, and then plus they've got so many players that they could pick from in the NRL and, pro- and probably in the Super League too. You know, big forwards, um, really good backs, you know, that can finish well and, you know, compete on kicks and things like this. Um, so I think there is the ingredients there for a World Cup uh, win to Samoa. I know that might sound a little oh, wow. crazy, but I mean, if you 
on paper, I mean, you like there'd be no NRL club that would say no to any of these players that that we just mentioned. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts about that? You know, a, a Luai, Brand, uh, Dylan Brown, Stephen Crichton, sort of making up, you know, three fourths of their uh, of their spine plus all the other players they've got. Yeah, I mean, look, oh, there's just so many that. Like, I think what you need really is a coach. And look, this is about the coaching situation there. This is mm. what this topic is about. But I think one person that's been missing is the, the coach that has led uh, at least two of these Samoan boys to the promised land oh. of NRL victory. Yes. Nathan Cleary. Dad. Sorry, Ivan Cleary. Sorry, Ivan <laughs> yeah. Cleary. Nathan Cleary's dad. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, maybe in future, Nathan Cleary will uh, will repeat the World Cup victory of his father, Ivan Cleary. But look, where's what's Ivan Cleary doing in the World Cup? Mm. Is he is he busy this October? Because you know, you might sort of argue that why why not utilize the coach that has been able to get the absolute best out of both Luai and To'o mm. in the last year or so? Uh, you know, there's I don't know. Look, I'm just I'm just putting it out there, Tish. Yeah. That I think uh, Ivan Cleary has got the goods. Uh, you know, look, happy for the Johns boys. I don't know what the Johns boys, what connection they have necessarily. Like, I get Sonny Bill, but I don't understand what the Johns boys have in terms of connection with Samoa. Is it just that they think it's a – they've seen the success of Tonga and they think they want to emulate – uh, help Samoa get get there. Um, I don't know what they bring necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> to, to you know, they'd have to really devote a lot of time to it. And and I don't know if you know, with the schedule that they've got, they're both in media. And you yeah. know, are they the right people to do the scouting of Samoan players? And yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm just sort of wondering. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, well, from my from my understanding, and I've heard this from. Um, several of their podcasts and even Andrew Johns and several interviews, right? So back in the 80s when, you know, really, uh, you know, Polynesian players were not really, uh, you know, in the NRL, a lot of them would go to the Newcastle district to actually represent. And I think uh, some of their idols growing up were Polynesian um, and Fijian as well. So I know that they've got a bit of a passion to see South uh, to see Ireland, uh, you know, the, the South Pacific nations rise um, because some of their favourite players were, were from there. I think that's why um, Andrew Johns actually grew up going for the Balmain Tigers and um, their number six was like the false, first Polynesian player in the NRL. Um, he recently passed away. I've just forgot his name. But that was that was oh. his inspirational play when he was growing up before Newcastle entered the competition, right? Mm. So that's kind of where the connection is. Like, so yeah, so they're like, Super fans, right? <laughs> as far as I know, I don't know if they've got any sort of uh, other sort of family connection. Obviously, Sonny Bill Williams does, um, but yeah, but but they've uh, and they're, they're big supporters of international rugby league. So I know, I know, so so that's good. But yeah, you you are right. Like that, I know with Andrew Johns, he doesn't want to be a coach. Like there is this thing about uh, the pressure of being a coach. He just doesn't want to do that and things like that. He's more better in that consulting sort of role. And you could see that he's been consulting for the Knights, which is kind of interesting. And last year he was consulting for Parramatta. And, you know, they've got one of the, you know, the best young halves combinations in, in the competition, right? So um, certainly 
you know, they're, they're putting together, a, a, a t- like maybe the current coach, Matt Parrish, maybe he could stay as coach and just have these as assistant coaches, um, something like that, um, to do it. But, you know, it's, uh, and yeah, like if all these South, South, uh, maybe Craig Bellamy can coach Fiji. I'm just thinking, I'm just, like, <laughs> you know, let's get these big NRL coaches. I think, I think that's a great idea, Dr. T. You know, mm-hmm. um, I know that um, Trent Robinson is going to be involved with the French team. Um, uh, you know, like uh, whether he, I think he's the head of football operations in France or something like this. Um, he's not the actual coach, but the coach sort of sits under him. So he's got the, he's got the structures in place because he's like a structure guy, right? Um, and then, you know, Craig Bellamy's worked with a couple of Fijians, like, you know, with Vinavalu, who could be coming back to the NRL, but then, you know, he's also got a, a few Fijian players there. So maybe he may, might be a good fit for Fiji. And, um, you know, maybe we could get, you know, uh, Wayne Bennett to coach Tonga or something, um, you know. Uh, I'm trying to think who, who would be the next – who's the next super coach there? Probably probably Wayne Bennett, right? Like, you know. Um, so, yeah, but, but, but that's a great idea, Dr. say Like, just have yeah. these, you know, NRL – because, I mean, it's not a full uh, – yeah, I suppose it is, but, yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not convinced. I'm not convincing you. But look, yeah, it, I think I think what I'm saying is I think if the issue is, you know, like we saw that a top tier nation like New Zealand required someone like a Wayne Bennett at the peak of his powers mm. to help them get over that hurdle of finally defeating on a regular basis Australia, the Kangaroos. Um, you kind of need the same thing, I think, for these uh, South Pacific nations that, that uh, you know, to, to give them that extra boost, to get that organisation, you know, a lot of these players already play in NRL, so they're already NRL quality anyway, and some of them absolutely amazing NRL quality, you know, like top of the heap kind of thing. Um, what you need is a, a coach that brings them together for, a tournament, really. That's what mm. this is about. It's about winning the World Cup. And, you know, it's very similar to, but not the same as as a, you know, getting a kind of, I think we've seen this with, um, well, it's not the same, but if you look at state of origin, yeah, you know, the, the most successful coaches uh, are not necessarily the former players, <laughs> you know, so this is why, you know, once we get to it fairly shortly, we're going to talk about the the Queensland and New South Wales State of Origin series. Um, I'm not so sure that someone like a Billy Slater mm. is the kind of coach that will bring the, the Queensland Maroons together and, you know, have the right tactics and, uh, you know, necessarily know what needs to be done with already superstar players, if you know what I mean. It's kind of like, mm. you know, you've basically been gifted an all-star team, <laughs> one of two in the country, and your job is to defeat the other all-star team. Granted, there's passion and meaning behind it and a tribal kind of quality, but they already have that anyway. I mean, the the the, the purpose of a Queensland coach isn't necessarily to instill a motivating factor for Queensland players. They've already got that. They're Queenslanders, you know. Mm. The purpose for them is to get them together and get them organised. And, you know, um, or in the case of that 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 uh, great kind of winning streak that they had under Mal Meninga, 
is make sure you just get the right leadership in place. So, you know, Mal Meninga's style was more let the leaders run the show, and that's why you had Cam Smith and others dominating. It was all about them. It wasn't necessarily about that they played in a in a very clinical way. They just played their game, but they were led by by you know, by example, which is exactly the way Mel Meninga played. You know, you look at Brad Fittler, what has he done with the Blues? He has managed to bring them together in a more tribal way. And again, he's, he's exploiting the strength and the skills of, of the young talent that they've got yeah. uh, to the point where last year we, we I think we had a record win against the Queenslanders unheard of and no one would have expected that from a Brad Fittler coach team mm. <laughs> certainly not uh, you know at state of origin level but that's the thing that that works at state of origin and I think you kind of need something kind of similar and I think that's where maybe the the Johns boys are going with this is that you you can't just transplant an external coach you need a combination of that external coach but someone that can instill the the passion uh, and someone who really understands the players. And and I think, so, yeah, I'm fully supportive of what they're doing. And I think uh, yeah. they it, it's just about finding the right coach that has had success. And I do think that the obvious success here is Nathan Cleary, uh, sorry, Ivan Cleary understands those two Samoan boys more than anyone and managed to, you know they were the the keys to the victory, uh, their their premiership victory last year. So, yeah, that's I would say. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the others could do the same. I think Fiji could do the same. I don't exactly know wh- whether that kind of a uh, you know combination of an NRL coach, quality coach, plus a player who's been there and done that before. I think possibly is is the winning formula there. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you are right. There is a difference between NRL coaching and uh, representative coaching um, because obviously you don't have the time. You're not in there day in, day out, right? Um, they've got their other concerns and they, 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 you, it's only like, it's like a camp, right? A camp leader versus like your school teacher type thing, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so I think you're right. So I think, um, if, I don't know if this is a thing, (laughs) but I want to call it passion management, right? (laughs) Right. Whereas, um, cause I think with the Samoans and the Tongans, you've seen that they've got quite a lot of passion when they are playing for that Jersey. I think it's already inbuilt there. I think the camaraderie is also there as well. Uh, that whole bringing together just with their own culture and having somebody from that same cultural background, ex-player or, or sort of, you know, some sort of, you know, elder statesman uh, will help. So I think that's where the signing bill factor comes into it too, right, with with that. And I think that makes sense. Um, but then you also need, because um, you, you had that limited preparation, um, you know, you've got to be a bit strategic with, the teams that you pick and how you pick them. Um, for example, you know, New South Wales first two games, they had Cleary and Luai as the halves combination. Um, you know, and they, they've got, you know, they're basically playing played for the last decade together. Right. Like, you know, growing up in the grades and stuff like that. Uh, then, you know, the last game, which we lost, you had Mitchell Moses and you had, um, 
and you had uh oh, sorry the guy from Canberra just forgot his name off the top of my head um uh, Jack Whiten right so you had yeah, Moses yeah. and Jack Whiten and and both those players are you know probably top top five in their position in the NRL you know um but yet because they don't have those combination right you know th- they look like they've never even heard of each other before like you know what I mean <laughs> like, like it was the first time they were meeting you know that, that, that's what it felt like when you were watching them play so I think with with um these representative sides I mean Queensland's dominance um you know obviously they were being together for a long time but they also you know they also when they if you look at it it was like you know the the team was run by the spine of Melbourne and the spine of Brisbane um and then you add Jonathan Thurston to the mix that type of that that's basically how they kind of uh would pick the team and then all the other players around them um, just knew that these are the players that are running the team and you just got to follow instructions and, and you know, like be passionate and do all that kind of stuff, but, you know, leave the game management to these guys. So I think in the same way with with like a Samoa, um, you know, for example, they've got some really great elite organising players uh, that are top five in their positions, right? Um, so you've got that there. So you've already got the formula there and I think – being able to, I suppose, manage the strategy. Um, I think the John's boys can do that the best, <laughs> right? Um, mm. You know, um, they're, they're both a little strange. They're not your typical people, right? That's, that's And I think I think somebody, uh, I've heard this recently, and I, and I do kind of agree. I think um, being an NRL halfback or 5'8", uh, I, th- I think I think because the job is weird, like there's only 17 people in Australia that can do it, right? Um well, thirty-two, right? It it is a weird job, and and it and it does lend itself to to a weird person, right? Somebody like you know, so so they're gonna have some eccentricities, like you know, um, and then so the Johns people boys understand that, right? But you put another guy in that's a bit more sort of um, you know straight, they probably don't understand that, right? And I think that's where the Johns brothers can can add add there to it. Um, and uh, it's a great experiment, put it this way. If, if it goes ahead, we could see, does this actually work? Or, you know, is it, you know, they end up losing 40 by 40 points to Greece, then we know it didn't work, right? <laughs> Tish, I'm going to put it to you, and this is my final comment before we move on, that if Samoa wins the World Cup this year with this arrangement, that Matthew Johns should be the next NRL immortal <laughs> <laughs> to join his brother. I think if this works, wow. he should be applauded in the most incredible way. That's, yeah. Uh, anyway, that, that all right, let's move. Imagine, imagine living with the fact that your younger brother is an immortal and you're not right. That's that's a pretty that's a pretty hard thing to live with, actually. Right. <laughs> well, especially when he played most of his uh, representative games at hooker, so. In a, in a different position for anyway. Yeah, let's not go there. All right, let's let's move on to the American Dream tackle number four. Here we go. All right. So the American Dream we are referring to, of course, a game of rugby league between a Hugh Jackman-backed team and a Russell Crowe-owned team, we are talking about 
Manly, the plans to have Manly in South Sydney, uh, an NRL match to open the 2023 season in, of all places, Los Angeles, United States of America. Tish, tell us what's going to happen with this, uh, you know, <laughs> mouth-watering uh, matchup in Los Angeles. What's going on? Are they are they utilizing the star power of Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, so Manly owner Scott Penn has been urging the NRL uh, to play a game in Los Angeles. Um, and the original plan was actually uh, going to be in 2019, but it fell through. But since COVID is over and things have that on, there's been renewed pressure to, to get that up. So the NRL does use, uh, you know, the NRL plans to use Hugh Jackman, um, who's a huge Manly uh, fan, as well as South Sydney owner Russell Crowe, um, to sell the game to the American market. Um, so since the, yeah, and then so basically um, the stadium that they're looking at is the uh, Bank of California Stadium, uh, which where the Los Angeles um, Football Club play, um, which is a 22,000-seat stadium. So it's not one of the, I think the LA Coliseum, I think, holds, or the LA Stadium or something. There's one stadium in LA that holds 100,000. It's not that stadium. It's going to be a, a smaller venue, which hopefully they can sell out, um, which has been used for rugby sevens, going to be used for the Olympics and so forth. So it's a world-class stadium. Um and yeah, using Hugh Jackman, all that. Now, the other thing uh, that that uh, was interesting is that Blake Solly um, um, from the from the South Sydney, um, yeah, said that um, we had discussions a few years ago with the NRL about the potential game for the opening season. It didn't come off, but we've always been interested in, in this opportunity to expand the game in the US, provided it was part of a long term strategy by the NRL um, to continue playing in America. We also have links in America with owners Russell Crowe and another owner for South Sydney, Mike Cannon-Brooks, who has uh, sporting interests. So Mike Cannon-Brooks owns, I think, a third of South Sydney, but he actually also has a minority interest in the NBA's Utah Jazz. Um, and and he is, of course, the co-founder of Atlassian. Yeah, which is an Australian uh, company. Company, that's tech got, company, yeah. yeah. So he's a tech billionaire, basically. Yeah, that's right. So, so, so why aren't they playing this game in Silicon Valley or Utah? Maybe, uh, you know, like with all the connections they have there, right? That's so it could be exciting. But look, um, it feels to be fair, it feels like a good opportunity and a good time to actually start it. Um, like, so it's not as crazy or off the whim. Um, but I do like how both South Sydney and Manly. You know, they just don't want to play this as a once-off and forget about it. They want to, they want to see a bit more of a, a long-term strategy. So, Dr. Tao, put it to you. A, should we should we do this next year? And B, uh, if we do, what should be the long-term planning of of uh, getting the game exposed in the United States of America? Yeah, look, I I wonder if we should do this, you know, every year to ramp up interest with different teams. And and have you know so for for now obviously it'd be good to have uh, the obvious connections there to to promote the game. But as time goes on, I think uh, you know maybe have uh, maybe have another um, another set of teams 
uh, that will allow then the NRL to actually promote it properly as opposed to using the connections, <laughs> um, mm. you know, actually sort of put some money behind it and 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 with a view to getting enough interest and, and showcasing, you know, the best of rugby league uh, around the world and and maybe maybe having closer ties, I think, established with the local teams there. I think they've yep. I, I, I couldn't tell you at the moment where where the USA Rugby League is kind of set up in terms of, uh, you know, who's the official governing body there now. It's just changed so many times mm. that it's not funny. So I think I think there needs to be a bit better governance around this sort of stuff. And if there is a, an, a, an organisation that's been officially recognised, then why doesn't the NRL work closely with them to make it an official kind of arrangement where, you know, either you have the opening game or or a game, you know, maybe later in the season, maybe you have a a, a, a couple of weeks or a week where, or a weekend, let's just say, where it's the, it's the, uh, the pioneering round where we basically go and have games all over the world or, you know, one in America, you know, a couple in Asia, wherever. And with the view to it being a round of rugby league where we spread the word, the missionary wow. round or, you know, whatever you want to call it, mm. uh, some sort of a round where we just focus on, uh, you know, having, you know, having effort being put to promoting the game in a place where it's not necessarily played. But, you know, with the way, with a view to, having a proper, you know, you don't just sort of go in there, have a game and then walk away and then nothing comes of it. Like actually it's part of a conversation, I guess. Yeah. To get, you know, to get it, to get it uh, uh, officially kind of working and governance working, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. How's that sound? No, no that sounds, that sounds brilliant. And, um, and look for me, the way, the way I look at, uh, okay, how does a sport that has little interest get like super interest, right? Like, so how do we, how do you, how do you grow a sport in a country that has, because, you know, the American market is already flooded, right, with sport and sporting options. You know, they've got four major sports and the NFL, dwarf, like all the other sports dwarf to the NFL as well, right? The NFL was kind of so huge, right? But the second biggest sport in this, you know, the second biggest sporting um uh, sport is 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 college football. You know, collegiate athletes, right? Um, that play for their colleges, and you got to remember that the you know the, the number of players that get picked up in you know, in the NFL draft, there is a ton of other really good athletes that don't get picked up um, by a lot of these clubs, and many of these players are quite, um, I suppose, well known uh, along their college campuses, right? So I think I think. The best way, because if the best way to grow the sport is to have players from that country that are playing at the elite level, and then people find out about about them about it, and then so when they go, so when these, um, so when they go and play this game in LA, they're like, hey, we got you know, this guy used to play in our college, and now he's playing for South Sydney, for example, right? Like, let's mm-hmm. go to watch him play type thing, and then you know, you kind of build some cult heroes that way. And then people start following the sport because of that player. Right. Um, you know, like before, you know, before Tiger Woods golf was kind of a relatively a minor sport, right. But Tiger Woods, the name 
identity of Tiger Woods really like brings up the sport a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, Babe Ruth kind of did that for baseball many years ago, right? Same sort of thing with like, you know, the NFL and Vince Lombardi and all these, you know, there's always these great players that are from that place that sort of, you know, raise the profile of the sport. So I think the strategy should be, um, or the strategy should involve developing NRL players either in the US or, you know, that have a, you know, a college NFL background, a college um, gridiron background, and then seeing them how they transition so that like, you know, um, because they've already got a following, right? And um, these days of social media, uh, you know, people can, ca- uh, you know, people will, will keep up with these players who, you know, maybe didn't miss out on their uh, NFL dream, but still want to play professional sport as, as a career, right? I think they need to come up yeah. with a strategy like that and, and build a pool of players that, um, you know, South City and Manly or whichever other teams can actually, um, you know, want to be a part of this can, can then sort of, you know, at least have a, a player from that country playing for them. And then, you know, and then, then you're going to get some real grassroots support from the, the, you know, from the supporters so that they're not just going to watch the one live game they get a year, but they're going to watch all 25 rounds. Exactly. So that's All right. Shall we? That's Did a I good plan. Email uh, them in or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Send a letter. Send an email to uh, Peter Volandis at NRL.com. Mm. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's move on to another, look, another American dream, another connection to America. And this is NASA. NASA working with the NRL. What's the go? Here we go. Tackle number five. NASA, what is the deal, Tish? NASA and NRL, you, these are two institutions that you don't necessarily think of as working alongside each other, but they have for a very important reason. <laughs> Tish, do you want to tell us? Do you want to tell us how NASA has been working with the NRL? Yeah, well, NASA, they, you know, NASA is a is a. Uh, I can't remember what the actual uh, acronym stands for, but. They've done some very important work throughout history, right? Um, landing people on the moon, you know, space exploration, everything. But now they've they tapped to, into a problem that, um, you know, that the world has been suffering for for a long time, and and we haven't been able to fix, and that is forward passes in the NRL. Um, so a London-based firm called Sportable uh, inserted a microchip into the Steeden Rugby League balls during the last six games of the NRLW season, so the which just concluded, um, to sort of try out their forward path technology and being able to track the ball's movement. So Sportable's, uh, one of Sportable's um, founders is former NASA nuclear engineer, uh, Peter Hoosmeyer, um, who has declared that the findings were really, really interesting. Um, so there is a bit of a snippet into what they found. So let me just uh, try and bring this up here. So um, so during those matches, the referees called four, four forward passes, right? But uh, according to Sportable, 
which ran the test in the background that um, had no effect on the game. They detected all four of those passes, but also an additional two that were missed. Okay. So wow. it, the technology works, apparently. So so there we go. So NASA, well, not really NASA, but a former NASA employee, right? We've got to check his credentials, right? There's uh, so many uh, fake people out there. But, um, you know, putting a microchip into the steering uh, to actually monitor where it goes. What do you guys, you know, Dr. T, firstly, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that type of technology? It, has this... Has this just blown your mind in terms in terms of all the possibilities? It's uh, it just reminds me of of you know some of those uh, look I forget which movie it was from the eighties or nineties where it was like a there's a dodgeball one of those I don't know one of those ones where it was like very futuristic mm. and uh, you know you almost look it, it's. We use technology now in tennis to tell us when the ball is out so that we can stop um, the likes of, you know, John McEnroe arguing the point. And and as we've seen, well, Nick Kyrgios not being a good example, uh, we have not eradicated that from the game. So there you go. Um, doesn't always work, does it, to, to eliminate human uh, whinging. And, look, one of the biggest things with... Uh, you know, we've talked about this endlessly about the physics of it, of of whether a pass is projected backwards. Can it, you know, can a ball travel forward if you're uh, if you're having a standing start, but you, you know, you throw it backwards? Well, this is supposed to help us get there. So I'm all for as much technology as we can to to bust those myths and to help us work out. Is it a forward pass or not? And look, I envisage a day where where we go to a bunker for something, and they just have the the forward pass check um, as a as an automated thing that comes up. Uh, you know, when they're trying to decide if if uh, if every element was right in in order to allow a, a try. You know, that there's a, an automated thing that comes up, a NASA app that comes up that says, "Yep, that was uh, that was backward." Backward off the hands, good to go. Well, Manasa app told me. There you go. Uh, proceed. Mm. Um, and I think, I think I'm all for technology, mate. If it works out, and if it's well tested, and it sounds like with the Nasa seal of approval, what could go wrong? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And look, I'm just on the uh, Nasa website, just looking up some of the other projects that they're working on. Um, so, so one is in 2024 to have uh, the first woman to land on the moon, as well as the next man. Um, they're also uh, developing a dragonfly-like d- drone um, to study the chemistry and habitability of Saturn's uh, moon Titan. Um, they're also working on, uh, you know, uh, changes to the, uh, you know, International Space Station. And they're also now getting involved in NRL forward passes. So well, very, very interesting. Do you think one day we will see the NRL bunker on the International Space Station? Look, uh, you know... All available angles, Dr. T. Let me tell you, Tish, and, and I think one day we're going to look back at footage of players when they score a try 
pointing up to the sky and, and kissing their fingers and with two hands pointing up to the sky, no longer will it be uh, a declaration of faith in God. It will be a, a captain's challenge to the bunker <laughs> up in the International Space Station. <laughs> That's That's right. That will be the official NRL symbol of uh, send it upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> like literally upstairs in the International Space Station. Tish, I like the way you think. Yeah. I think NASA will have a, a crucial role in this uh, in this and and yeah, look, absolutely. I, I think uh, they can they can adjudicate over all manner of games all across the world. Yeah, not just on uh, on particular NRL occasions, but they could, you know, have a bit of a nap, wake up, uh, adjudicate the uh, the South Pacific Championship yeah. as well, have another nap, you know, and then uh, wake up, and then all of a sudden. Uh, the the Middle East conference is uh, is underway, and they're going to adjudicate. You know the the Egyptian the pyramids versus the uh, the the deltas the Nile mm. deltas. You know that's a good clash as always. Um, yeah. You know this is you're right. This is the the future. This and is the future, we are yeah. way ahead of them. Yeah. But we are calling it out. I think PVL needs to get onto it. Yeah. Because this is the opportunity that will. Uh, that will finally put to bed all the uh, disrespect that the bunker is getting. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and what I can see is if this was to happen, I could then see the Melbourne Storm moving all their home games to Marvel Stadium. And um, basically, you know, when, when the decision doesn't go their way, they just close the roof. <laughs> <laughs> it, won't, it won't matter, Tish. It's, it, it won't matter. <laughs> yeah. It won't matter. The satellites still work. yeah all right all right i think we're done our dash from that one yeah let's move on to our final tackle where we give our tips for round seven of the nrl the anzac round here we go So, look, after the Easter round, both of us were on five out of eight, correct, which brings my total to 31 and yours, Tish, to 33, uh, still two ahead of me. And we let's just jump right into, if I bring up the uh, current games for the Anzac round. So, obviously, um, the big Anzac Day one will occur on Anzac Day, but we're going to start with the Thursday game. It's the Battle of the Beaches, Cronulla versus Manly. Um, Tish, what are your thoughts on this one? I think the Sharks, for me, will win this one, but um, going to be a great game, I think. Yep. I agree. I think the Sharks will win this one. I think, uh, look, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said this was easily a Sharks victory, but I think the Manly is proving uh, me wrong a little bit. <laughs> they're, they're kind of fighting back. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be a good one, of course, the Thursday night game there. Friday night's game, obviously, is going to be a Broncos game. Broncos versus Bulldogs. Um, Tish, I am opting for the Broncos. I think uh, they looked. I think they've proven that they, they can match it with some of the big boys, especially the Roosters uh, game sort of showed a little bit of that. Um, a while ago, but 
I think this one is going to be a pretty easy one for the Broncos. Yeah. Well, both these teams are rebuilding. One team decided to rebuild by um, having uh, buying every other player, like buying all these players but no halfback. <laughs> and the other one decided to keep all their existing players but just change a halfback. So I'm going to tip the Broncos because I feel like they've got a better strategy, right? So I think the Broncos, for mine, um, are definitely, yeah, getting closer to, to where they need to be, where I think the Bulldogs still need a bit of work. All right. Um, Cowboys and Titans. And look, both teams have kind of showed some glimpses of brilliance this year. Cowboys probably more so for mine. I think they would be better favoured in the betting. And for that reason, I think uh, I don't see any reason why the Titans are going to get up in this one. It is uh, Cowboys are at home, so Cowboys to win. What about you, Tish? Yeah, look, this is going to be a tight one. And... um... Yeah, I kind of feel the Cowboys, but I'm going to tip the Titans. I, I feel like if there is going to be an upset, I think the Titans will be up for this game. They they can attack really well. I don't know if the Cowboys' attack is as good as it could be. Um, they did yeah. have a hard victory against the Raiders, but yeah, the Titans for me in this one. All right, Tigers and Rabbitohs. So this is an interesting one because I think Isotrell is still out with injury. Yes. And... We've got the Tigers coming off an epic win against the Eels. Uh, however, I do think that the Rabbitohs still would be favoured in this one. I think uh, the Rabbit, you know, the Rabbitohs probably not as strong as a top four material as they would have been in the last couple of years, but they're still going to hang around in that top eight. And I think the Tigers uh, look. It's going to be a, a challenging match, I think, for the Rabbitohs coming off. Uh, you know, to face the Tigers after what they've just been through is going to be tough for the Rabbitohs. So, in my mind, it's a uh, it's all on the Rabbitohs. Yeah, look, I'm going to go for the Rabbitohs um, in a different way as well. I mean, the Rabbitohs are playing this game. This game is going to be played on a Saturday, so it gives um, the Rabbitohs eight days to prepare <laughs> right for this mm-hmm. game. Whereas the Tigers have just played on Monday, and then they're going to play on Saturday. So that gives them a five day turnaround. So it's it's quite a bit of a gap actually. Um, if you think about it in those ter- terms. So I'm going to tip the Rabbitohs. Just I feel like they're going to be a lot more prepared um, and look for Lachlan Elias to have a great game. He was a former Tiger and uh, now got the number one position at halfback for the Rabbitohs. Uh, yeah. All right. The Knights and the Eels. And I think after what the Eels did today, they probably would be entitled to think that they want a bit of... Um, yeah, to avenge their loss and uh, to to make amends really for their performance, um, and against a Knights team that look, you know, unfortunately they would be quite disappointed as well. I think both this is a, a clash of two teams that um, lost in the last minute, <laughs> and so very very disappointing for both teams. But I think the Eels will bounce back a little bit quicker. Yeah, look, I'm with you as well. I think the Eels uh, are definitely strong. I think Newcastle got quite a lot to worry about, actually. Um, so, uh, yeah, Eels for mine. All right, Panthers and Raiders. Um, a repeat of the 1991 Grand Final, but that was a lifetime ago. And I think the Panthers are a completely uh, dominant side at the moment, and they'll continue to dominate uh, against Canberra. 
Yeah, I agree. I think the, the, the Raiders, I thought they were going to beat the Cowboys at home. They weren't able to do that. Now they're going to play the Panthers at their home ground, which um, I think the Panthers are going for like their 20th game in a row or something like that. So um, Panthers for mine in this one. All right. Now the two traditional, or well, one in particular traditional Anzac Day clashes on Monday, the 25th of April, We've got the 4 p.m. game in Sydney at the Sydney Cricket Ground with the Dragons against the Roosters is the first one. And the second one is the Storm and the Warriors at uh, Amy Park at 7 p.m. in Melbourne. Um, First one, Dragons, Roosters. Uh, I think the Dragons are going to win this one. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Roosters. I know they've been a bit shoddy. But I feel like the Dragons, they had a good win, but I I don't know how they're going to recover. So Roosters for mine in this one. All right, and finally, the Storm and the Warriors. I think it's pretty hard to go past the Storm. They're the the typical white-hot team at the moment, and Mm. I think the Warriors, you know, they kind of maybe a class below them at the moment, although you never know. Stranger things have happened, but, um, yeah, I think the Storm will win this one. Yeah, look, I mean, I I feel like the Warriors are building, um, but, like, they're up against a team that even when they don't play well, they find a way to win. And right now, Cameron uh, Cameron Munster, we didn't really talk about, but he seems yeah. to be at another level at the moment too. So when you've got Cameron Munster in your team, fit, healthy, and not having to organise like, uh, you know, because you've got Jerome doing that. So I think I think the Storm, uh, yeah, this could blow out pretty, pretty badly actually, come to think about <laughs> it. <laughs> it could, yeah, yeah. I think the Storm, yeah, like I said, um, they'll, they'll easily do this one. All right, well, I think that wraps up the Anzac round tips and the episode. Thank you very much, Tish. It's been a big, epic Easter weekend capped off by a wonderful Tigers victory, an exciting game. And as an Eels fan, as much as I am disappointed, I think I'm happy that I I saw an entertaining game. It's really great to be entertained. And Mm. we tend to, we tend to forget how often we get entertained in, in the, as NRL watchers, uh, it's uh, again, we're, we're blessed in many ways with the amount of great games and great quality that we see every weekend. Tish, thank you very much for this. Over to you to wrap this one up. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Taylor. To thank everybody for listening out there. But that's all the time we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.